0: This is Jim Durkin here. Uh, On this week's episode, we discuss killing for content with Mark Hall and its impact on hunting. I wanted to do an episode like this since Randy Newberg was on the podcast a while back with Matt. Randy talked about his conservation content getting 95% less views than his killing content. This made me stop and think. And made me think that maybe the hunting celebrities and influencers that are shooting five to ten times more than what they could ever eat in a year are not egomaniacs entirely. Maybe they're simply giving us what we want. But maybe it's both. I mean, we like watching hunting wherever we can get it. And they love the likes and the fanboy comments that they get on social media. But that doesn't matter either way. Things are exactly how they appear to be. And the celebrity hunters doing this are gluttonous and a bad representation for our sport. Hopefully this conversation will at least get you thinking about how we're represented to the non-hunting community and even the anti-hunting community. And maybe the hunting community will wise up and stop tolerating the influencers that are killing for content. And my guest, Mark Hall, he is the founder of the Hunter Conservationist, based in Canada. Mark's mission is to inspire Canadians to care about hunting and science-based wildlife management. Mark has a website and a podcast, and I highly encourage you to follow him and listen to his podcast, regardless of whether you live in Canada or not. He is truly one of the good guys in the hunting world, and we need more people like him. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and thank you for listening.
1: This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella.
0: How you doing, Mark? I'm awesome. I'm thanks doing for, great. Thanks for being here. I uh, I'm with My Mark pleasure. Hall, the hunter conservationist. And wh- Mark, where are you located at?
1: I am in um, Cranbrook, British Columbia, which is in the southeast corner of British Columbia in the Rocky Mountains, kind of where British Columbia, Montana, and Alberta kind of all come together.
0: Oh, I bet you that's beautiful.
1: It's awesome. It's no one outside right now, actually. <laughs> Is
0: it? So do you have, you what, you have elk, moose, mountain goat? We
1: have everything here. Yes, we have um, uh, elk, mule deer, white-tailed deer, uh, grizzly bears, black bears, um, cougars, blanks, bobcats, mountain goats, uh, bighorn sheep, and elk. Did I say elk? Yeah. Yes. And, and moose. Uh, they get marketed as Shire's moose, but there's been some scientific DNA studies that show that they're not, they're just the North American, uh, North, North of the border. So,
0: yeah, really? Wow. So there's so there's everything here.
1: There's everything here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, uh, great part of the world to be in for having all these species, you know, and plus all the waterfowl as well. Uh, sometimes it's kind of overwhelming.
0: Yeah, and I bet you
1: really have to focus. Like you can't go like, oh, we'll go out and maybe we'll see a mule deer and or a whitetail or and it's like <laughs> you gotta pick one or the other.
0: <laughs> Those are good problems to have.
1: At times, yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell us about yourself and how you came to start the hunting conservationist.
1: You know, the the hunter conservationist podcast. The hunter conservationist, um, sorry. Podcast. Yeah. Like the brand is the Hunter Conservationist. Our flagship podcast is the Hunter Conservationist podcast. So we launched that back in 2019 and it was really, you know, the impetus behind it, I think was really sealed with the debate around uh, British Columbia's grizzly bear hunt, which was uh, banned in the spring of 2017 or 2018 i think and you know what we saw what we saw in in bc here was all of these conversations in the public forums and on social media with no big voice for canada yeah and canadian hunting and the canadian narrative of Hunting, a lot of things, you know, a lot of the, the conversations that I saw were like, like British Columbia hunters, like going down into, you know, the, the States to the social media people that they follow and say like, Hey, you got to say something about this. And, you know, you need to make a big deal. The government in BC might ban, you know, grizzly bear hunting. And, and it was just sort of like, it was silence you know, radio silence like south of the border. And, and I saw, I saw all these, these Canadian hunters like, like needing support, like needing a voice, needing ambassadors, you know, needing somebody to, to lead the charge and tell the truth. And all that really existed was, you know, like the hunting industry in the U.S., Uh, and the hunting industry in the U S uh, I love it. I love them because they're just so passionate and your science is so good and wildlife management. And, you know, there's, there's issues as well, but it, it, you know, people are on top of everything, the history, you know, of of the country and everything. But, but, you know, spokespeople in the hunting industry in the U S are are not going to stand up or they're not advocating for Canada and Canadian hunters were reaching out, looking for a big voice. And, and that's when we really, really realized, you know, that this gap exists, this gap exists, that the hunt, the Canadian narrative is not being told. And so we are like, well, let's jump into the fray. Time to do it. And, and there, and there we, and here we are. So our basic, um, mission you know, is to support the future of hunting in Canada and by doing that and having conversations with, you know, leading people in their field and experts and scientists on wildlife science, conservation and responsible hunting in Canada.
0: We were, we were just talking about that ban on a, on a previous podcast where the impacts of social media and people posting every and Anything that they shoot and kill, and how the detrimental impacts, and that was one case where someone's post of a grizzly bear getting shot and rolling down a hill really contributed to to that ban. Right? It it was
1: it was one of the kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. It it sort of inked the deal here in British Columbia. Uh, there was other. You know some other things that led up to it there was um, an NHL hockey player who was originally from British Columbia came back to BC one spring like the spring before to go hunting uh, and then he he got a grizzly bear and he ended up being charged because uh technically he was a resident in the United States and didn't have his residency in British Columbia even though he's from here oh, wow. uh, and so he wasn't entitled to actually just have a resident hunter's license and and that was like front page news and then yeah kind of in the 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 heat of the debate the 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 hunter's voices were growing and they were they were having uh an influence and the government kind of bent a little bit towards a modified hunt where hunters would be required to bring out the meat from a grizzly bear so it was basically like if if what you're saying is true that some hunters hunt bear grizzly bears for meat as well then we'll make that a requirement of the law they were also talking about um if that was the case then the hunter would have to relinquish like the the head hide and claws to the government but you could keep the meat and so it, you know it was kind of like there was some some possibilities of like something you know and then this this story hit the news of a video of some hunters filling a grizzly bear full of holes and not getting good clean <clears throat> you know um vital shots and putting this bear down it was on a snowpack it was roaring it was there was blood and and <clears throat> that was it it was it, it it was over in the court of public opinion and 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 then the announcement was made I have people that know a fair bit about the background on that. And from what I understand, that video and that hunt was not
0: even in British
1: Columbia. So,
0: oh, geez. But no. it's still, you know, oh, yeah, perception no, it, it is reality, right?
1: Yeah. It got used to say, yeah. oh, look at it. It was kind of like, look, everybody, this is what they're saying this grizzly bear hunting thing is, right? And it was. Wow! Yeah, even one of the one of the world renowned grizzly bear scientists that worked for the province of British Columbia here on grizzly bear, um, Dr. Bruce McClellan, uh, he is like on the grizzly bear conservation specialist team of the um, IUCN, like of the United Nations specialty mm. conservation group, published tons of peer-reviewed research here in British Columbia. Lots of papers showing how the hunt was sustainable in BC and the, the harvest levels and how non-hunting mortality was factored in to regulate uh, you know, hunter harvest and stuff. And he did a presentation about a year ago for the BC Wildlife Federation and he, he basically said the same, the same thing, you know, it was, it was nothing to do with the conservation of grizzly bears. It was nothing to do with the unsustainability of harvesting bears at a, at a, a 6%, um, mortality rate. And it had everything to do with this growing dissatisfaction of how grizzly bear hunting and grizzly bear hunters were being portrayed in social media and capped by that. That That really unfortunate video,
0: and that's how you came on on my radar. I reached out to you because you were uh, one of the references in an article done by the CBC in mm-hmm. the impacts of social media and how it represents poorly represents hunters
1: can can poorly represent hunters, yeah.
0: Yeah, and we, yeah, you know, that was
1: the um, yeah, that was that was over a um, a hunter uh, from a very famous celebrity hunting family uh, that shot a grizzly bear in the Yukon and posted it on a social media site and that just blew up. And uh, yeah, that's uh, where CBC picked the story up and I did an interview and they they quoted me a little bit on that. Yeah, that was.
0: So this concept of of, of representation on social media and how it can be a detriment to hunters is is nothing new to you guys in Canada. I mean, it's obviously a talking point.
1: No, it's not. And we've had some, um, you know, some infamous, let's say things happen. So, you know, we had the bear spearing incident in Alberta quite a number of years ago. Yeah, Um, it was big news. It was big news. uh, And... You you know what that, like, I mean that, so, so the use of spears is prohibited, uh, British Columbia prohibited, Alberta prohibited after that. yeah, And of course, when that happens, the people that don't support, you know, hunting, they use that to leverage against all bear hunting, you know, as opposed to just this one thing. And it was, and, and I know people from Alberta, you know, that were kind of involved in that that incident and the bear died very quickly. It was, it was an incredibly, um, lethal, like, um, shot. Yeah. Call it on the animal. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was the celebration and the, yeah, and all of this kind of stuff that was on a video that ended up being seen by millions of people that came across as very inappropriate. It was the celebrating of, of a, of killing, um, and not representing hunting. And so, so that caused a lot of controversy. There was another celebrity hunter here in Canada that, uh, shot a cougar in Alberta one winter. And, um, that kind of went again, went crazy, you know, across the country and in the same, the same sort of rhetoric and, and, you know, and then it puts cougar hunting, uh, in the spotlight, and then the topic of dogs and cougars comes up and, you know, and and that's generally what the ambulance chasers do with those stories. But, but either way, like they're, they're always quite, quite a big blow. And so, yeah, we, we've had a few uh, high profile news stories like that. We have had a couple, um, you know, to do with trapping uh, and, and so on and so on. So it, it almost seems like I'm almost like, you know, I, I should chart these things out when there's these big, huge blowups over something that a hundred has on social media and like, see if there's like a pattern. Cause it almost seems like they come up like every, every four months or five months where you're just like, Oh, things have been pretty good for a while. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh God, where did that come from?
0: There is, there is no shortage of information. If you do a search on social media social media um what's the word i'm looking for controversy over hunting mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and i think a lot of these guys like some of the the, the this has always been a pet peeve of mine the tv shows like you said the hooting and hollering i despise that i despise the way some of the folks will will grab a deer deer's head after they shoot it and they're jerking the neck around, looking at the antlers, counting points, plugging their sponsors. And I found it disrespectful to the animal. And I can only imagine what's what the non-hunter or the anti-hunter thinks when they see it, because I'm a hunter. And yeah, and you know, I even found myself one time, my buddy was doing some videos f- for Alaska float hunting. And uh, I was in one of the videos and I shot a caribou and I found myself reacting differently, knowing that it was, it was being recorded. Like I, I, my reaction was not different. It was different. It wasn't Mm -hmm. what I would do normally when there's no camera. Right. And and these guys do that nonstop. They, they, they try to be larger than life.
1: I think there's, there's definitely, there's, you know, there's some of that. And, there is, you know, cel- celebrating after a hunt is like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, absolutely, you know, it's, it's natural. Yep. Uh, it's, you know, there's, there's sort of like the stages, uh, it, it can be contrived. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I've, you know, I've seen that it's contrived for, you know, for, for the camera, uh, for whatever purposes. Yeah, it's, um, the the problem is, I think is, is you know there's 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 a bunch of them, but there are things like the emotional side, like happiness and joy, like that is a natural part of of getting the animal. It's it's the culmination of of you know like effort and hard work and anticipation and and excitement and stuff, and you know very rarely for the average hunter, it has anything to do with. Um, being satisfied with taking an animal's life, like that's not, but, but this tool that we use this, this mechanism of conveying that, uh, in a form of storytelling, which is like one or two, you know, Instagram pictures is, is just not an adequate storytelling tool for, or the, 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 depth and the seriousness and the consequences of hunting, uh, especially at that, that moment of, of taking the animal's life or, or, you know, shortly thereafter, it's, it's just not the best, the best medium and 22 minute TV shows, uh, sometimes are also not the best, the best tool to get out, you know, the truth about what hunting really is. So
0: yeah, yeah, I often wonder some of the celebrities that do these TV shows if their excitement is just the release or the relief of the pressure that they got the kill on camera. And, and that's what we're seeing. And and not the excitement per se of the hunt, but like, oh, thank God, you know, I'm able to to produce a TV show out of this hunt.
1: That <clears throat> that could vary. Bury- very well be as, as well um you know it's uh you know I think this uh you know this topic that you post to me like you know killing for content uh is no you know if that's the business that you're in uh and you have these schedules and these whiteboards and your whole season is charted out and travel schedule and tags in different states and you know all this sort of stuff, and you've got to deliver you know for the series, the show for whoever's paying you, you know, to do this, I just, um, I, I can't see that not having a tremendous amount of pressure on, on people, unless they're just, they know they're so incredibly good. They're just going to go like, Oh yeah, no, we're going to go there and we're going to get an elk. Like, don't worry about it. Um, you know, but I, I just think of like any you know newspaper writer that's got a deadline at 6am tomorrow you know yeah. for for a story or a film producer of a of a major motion picture or whatever that's got these time frames and the and the production companies want to get this out and they're over budget and you know like i mean it you know eats people alive and end up in the hospital from stress and stuff so i i think that's got to be part of that game it's why i have never got into it. Um, I often joke the reason I've never got into like the, the, the TV or the video end of hunting is cause I just don't get anything that often to be a reliable TV show. I would, I would be the one that'd be like, Hey folks, welcome to the start of, uh, uh, season eight. Um, thanks for following me along. Hopefully I'll get something this year. <laughs> so,
0: I, I, I would love have a good time, but I love the idea of hunting and getting paid to hunt and going all over and getting comped. And but I couldn't imagine the pressure and and that leads us to to the, the pressure for killing for content. Yeah, because at some point. It goes from hunting to to killing. And I don't know what that threshold is. I think it's an opinion. Everybody's threshold is different. But if you're hunting for the wrong reasons, then at some point it becomes killing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would say there's different reasons for killing. Um, and I guess to the people that are producing content and that's their living and they have sponsors and, you know, like these sorts of things It's probably not like the wrong reason. I guess we would look at it as, is, you know, sort of, is that an ethical part of hunting would probably be how, how I would, I would frame it. Um, it's, and, and I think a lot of, even when the outside world, the non hunting world looks at what we do, it's always with that lens of, they want to know what the motive of the hunter is. Like at, at the, at the end of everything, whether it's an African lion or, or, or whatever, or Alaskan brown bear, it's like, people want to know why did that person kill that animal? What's, what's their motives? And if you say like, Hey, it's for food and this, then people are, Oh, okay. Yep. No, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, people going on, you know, if it's the whole trophy thing then people are like, nope. nope no, don't, don't agree with who You know, we don't like, um, that as the motive. And, and so they're, they're assessing the motive, uh, on top of that, they're assessing the character of the person going like, Oh my Jesus, person's like got a big ego. They're full of themselves. They're just, they rub me the wrong way and I don't like their motive. And so they get branded. And so, you know, I think within, the hunting community, um, we are probably no different. We use that same lens. So, who is this person that has killed something and it's now visible on social media? What is their character? You know, what is their backstory? What is their character? This, does this person come across as, as like, this is a pretty good person, right? And then what's their, what's their motive? And it's like, oh, they were, they were going out deer hunting. And it's just like, man, I remember, you know, living in the Midwest and my dad and I, and, oh, geez, that brings back memories and, you know, cool, good, you know, and, and you're supportive of that. You would think the the killing is not for the wrong reason. If it's somebody that you can really tell, like they're on social media, um, they are the witness me, look at me, um, I've killed these things. I kill these things every week. I kill ducks and I put them in my mouth, or you know, and take these, you know, pouring beer down the fish's mouth, or you know, Shove whatever that dildo sort of thing. Up and, a doll sheets, yeah, and, you know, and, come on. And, and and like, hey, like I need some sponsors. You know, it's I I read a study uh, a while ago or a news story or something that said young kids nowadays, you know, what the number one career that uh, a lot of kids are aspiring to be
0: influencers social
1: media influencers yep. and so we have that in hunting as you know they're just simply trying to garner likes they're killing things to garner likes because they're promoting themselves and they want people to give them money it, to do that so that's a different motive and they have a different character so to me we could you know essentially look at that
0: from a different lens um in in my opinion i think a lot of these guys Probably are are good guys, good girls, good people, but ego and greed are two nasty things, and they can and turn, narcissism. Yeah, and they could turn good people <laughs> rotten. And oh, abs- absolutely! It's it would it's hard to imagine that if you're looking at some of these influencers that are posting animal after animal that it's having a positive in, influence on non-hunters yeah. because they, they'll hide behind the education or I'm teaching people to hunt. I'm taking people to hunt. I'm helping habitat. Uh, I'm donating meat. I'm feeding the hungry. They hide behind those things all in the name of self-promotion. And I think there's a growing community that have really reached out to hunt quietly that are, are sick and tired of it because they're hurting all of us.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and I think, um, well, I think there's like, I'll take like the, the influencers and, and this is, this is how I perceive it. So this is just somebody that wants to be famous like a Kardashian, right? Yeah. And uh they get on and and they start playing this role of of hunter, right? And they're they sometimes they're they're trying to like one up and do egregious stuff and you know, um uh sexualizing things gets brought into the photography and the messaging and and all of these sorts of things uh cuz they're trying to get sponsors. It it's like the It's like the pack up and, you know, leave my family in New Jersey and go West to Hollywood because they want to become a famous actor, right? Like it, it. so there's that, that group in, in some ways, I almost see them as the killing for content is not such a, is such a big deal in the fact that there's a death of an animal attached to this with this narcissistic motive, because most of them don't get anything. They're faking it, right? Like they're, you know, like. Just shooting their bow and, you know, check out my new boots and, you know, these sorts of things. And it's sort of like, yeah, it's like, like, great. Where's, where's the moose? And, and then there's, then there's the other side there. There's like this professional industry of very good hunters that have television shows that have brands that have major sponsors behind them. And they produce, um, TV series or YouTube series or podcasts or whatever they are. And they need to show like kills, like hunting and, and kills and episode after episode after episode, because, and this is how I see it. The motive here is not self-promotion. Uh, the motive here is you better deliver, um, for your sponsors in that people need to buy stuff need to buy the optics, need to buy the rifles, need to buy the boots, need to buy the gear, right? To me, that's part of the gig of this professional industry that's out there killing. And we use the term hunting celebrities, these sorts of things. Like I like to use the term that they're like, they're models. They're basically models for brands and they're going out and they're performing something that's very curated. Uh, in this case, it leads to a lot of times the death of a, of a wild animal for this purpose of getting people to buy a commercialized product or something that sponsors produce, right? NASCAR driver might be the same way. Say like they got these m- multi million dollar sponsors on the side of their car and it's like, and, and professional athletes or, or whatever. And it's like, you better deliver. You better be on the podium. You better win races. Like, it's like, don't smash the car up because it costs a lot of money to fix it. And there's all this pressure to deliver wins. It's not about sportsmanship. It's not about competition. Like you really tried. We consistently come in 10th, you know, good job team. Um. So, so the, the motives there for, for delivering you know the goods which is showing that you're killing animals um that's hunting for the commercialization of of products and hunting i think that's a whole different area you know they're do yeah. that's what they're doing you know that's that's what they're doing um it's i agree involved. with
0: everything you said I, I i just think they're 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 one in the same the the self-promotion and and selling products because if you're not selling products and you're self-promoting your your end goal is to probably be sponsored <laughs> you know yeah what I
1: mean? yeah it's the it's 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 kind of like you know the wannabes and and right and the ones that are established you know celebrity uh you know hunters and stuff it's just you know they it's no different than actors you know yeah. it's sort of like they're they're either like. B or C role. And then there's, then there's your famous, you know, uh, top celebrities and, and, and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, that's where for me personally, this idea of killing for content, um, it, it does bother me, um, because the motive to kill the animal is not for food. Sure. Lots of them, you know, the hunters do use the meat or they donate it or whatever, but the animals are being killed for a commercial purpose. Uh, and even the idea of, you know, using that as a vehicle to teach and inspire uh, so that people go into hunting, uh, that's still a commercial purpose because that recruitment, you know, in a way is the future of the people that buy commercial products. And, you know, I I don't want to come across that this this model is completely evil. It's it's also part of the reality of the world that we live in in order to support the future of hunting is things like economic arguments are very important to elected officials. You know, they generate x amount of dollars for the state, x amount um to pay for wildlife management, um x amount of um primary and secondary jobs, manufacturing like contribution to GDP. So that's an important part, even just from a, from political purposes that this thing that we love has an economic engine behind it. Like that's just a, everything's that way. Medicare is that way. Like everybody's got to prove, you know, your economics of things. Um, but I, I, I've kind of always, so, so there's one more group of people that, that kill, that become content. And I just want to throw them in here too, that I don't think they kill for the content. They, they hunt, they kill something and it becomes content. And that's just the average person that's out there hunting families and whatnot. They're just going out. And I, I basically say that's the group that would be doing this regardless of whether social media existed. Right. It's like, this is just what we do. Our family gets together every year and we do this big deer camp and a deer hunt. Um, Now there's the ability to post pictures with that. In some ways, I actually find that the most authentic form of, of hunting related pictures that are in social media. They're not curated You know, sometimes there's the tongue hanging out or, you know, the, the deers on the meat pole or whatever, but I'm just like, my God, that is hunting. Yeah. You walked into any hunting camp in 1945 and it's the deer were hanging on a pole and that's what this family's showing. And and it's like, to me, that's real. And, And, you know, a tremendous amount of the advocacy work that we do with the hunter conservationists is that those people can go out there and do that. They're just the average person out there hunting. But they're not the people that said, Hey, let's get all the family together and make this camp and then kill deer and put it on social media. Cause there's really no benefit to them. Nobody pays them for that. There's no other than just saying like, Hey, look what our family's done. You know, that's the, the sitting around the campfire, telling the story type thing, but on, on social media. And so. I I like, I support that. I don't don't like it when they do ugly stuff and you got to be, you know, some of them, you got to be like, well, you know, that picture could be taken and the wrong message attached to it and make hunting look bad. But for the most part, those are pretty authentic people and they would be killing those deer and those moose or those ducks, regardless of social media. And to me, those are the people that should define what hunting in Canada and hunting in America is about is like that average Culture of, of hunting. What bothers me about the commercial aspect and the professional hunters and the pro teams and the TV shows and all this that are, that are the sponsored thing is they're defining the narrative of how you should hunt, how you should look, what you should wear, how you should walk, how you should glass, how you should shoot, what's an animal you should take, what's an animal you shouldn't take, all, all the stuff. And I don't believe that commercial companies should define and control the narrative of hunting. I think the average person, family, and mom, and kids that are out there hunting, that's what we should see as the flagship.
0: And and how do we do do that? Because Matt has talked about that. The, The only people with a voice in hunting are the people making money off of it. How
1: do they make the money?
0: Yeah, by monetizing (laughs) (laughs) products and videos and shows. So we'll we'll chase this
1: all the way down to it's the average person that subscribes to the TV show that buys the hunting gear that buys the products that um, gives the likes. Yeah, um, you know these sorts of things, right? So it's going to come full circle.
0: You think it? You think it's going to fall off?
1: No, like I'm gonna say this argument of like why this this entity of of commercial killing, if we wanna call that in yeah. in the social media forum exists, it's because there's a demand for it. And it's people that are buying the products and they're buying um the TV shows and they're paying for the subscriptions for these things. So so it it's pretty hard to just sort of like say, oh, it's just these people that pay to make these tv shows or whatever and i don't like them or whatever and it's like well there's millions of people that that pay to watch all the episodes so it's like anything in this world you need to either vote with your principles or you exercise your principles with your wallet and if if the masses of people don't like it, then don't buy the stuff. And and I mean, there's people on social media that are pointing this some of this stuff out of going, like, hey, see this picture of this person doing this really disgusting thing that's making hunting look really bad. Take a look at the companies that are sponsoring these people. Yeah. They're eating more in a pocket. Like go to those companies and say, What are you doing? Right, so well is if, there's, is if there's a will, it'll change.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if it will. I, I really don't because people consume it, and there seems to be no shortage of it. I, I I went into a deep dive of YouTube hunting shows, and there's just it's mind-boggling how many people. Have YouTube channels and post hunting videos. Is it as popular in Canada as it is here in the United States? Um,
1: what's that? YouTube,
0: everything, hunting TV, YouTube (laughs) hunting channels. We don't we
1: don't don't have TV up here yet. So, (laughs) 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 dirt roads and yeah, you know, just lots of snow, fireplaces and yeah, hockey, yeah, hockey, yeah, we. Yeah. And, and we, and we read books, so we don't see any, any of this. Um, no, it, it, it is. It's, um, you know, it, one of the things like Canada will lag behind the U.S. in lots of things. Um, you know, I've always said just in, in conservation and wildlife management the U S is always way out ahead. They're out ahead in the research. They're out ahead in the amount of money that they pour into this stuff. And Canada generally lags, lags behind in that. And we're, we're learning and benefiting a lot from the leadership of the United States with things like this. Conversely, uh, when it's like trends and popular and these types of things, then the, uh, the monkey see monkey do thing happens. So we have a lot of, um, Like I would just say like US style hunting content, whether it's the, the backyard YouTube channel thing to, um, TV shows that are, they're very much based on, you know, the American model, which is proven to make money for, you know, for, um, investors and TV shows and, you know, those sorts of things. So yeah, it's, it's here as well. And some of it is not, not great.
0: I, I have you followed hunt quietly at all on Instagram or are you quietly. familiar? <laughs> quietly. You've quietly. No, followed no
1: actually when you reached out to me the other day and we started, it was just like, Oh, this is a whole new thing to me. So yeah, that's, that's where, where I've been exposed to it.
0: So there's folks that are helping out in, in part of the, the, the new clan and part of the, uh, Hunt Quietly movement. And one guy put a list together of social media posts of all these celebrity hunters. Mm-hmm. And some of these these animal counts are insane. Insane. Like for like
1: a single hunting season for kind of a thing.
0: single hunting season. Yep. And this is all on social media. Uh, but Cam Haynes, two deer. This is all this year, this past 2022 hunting season. Cam Haynes, two white-tailed deer, a black tail, one, two, three, four, five, six elk, three mule deer, and one black bear. I mean, that's that's a insane amount of animals. There's and that's eight years of, of, of eating in most families' houses.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can give meat to your families and your friends and, you know, um, that, that sort of thing, uh, it can happen. Uh, hunters do share. That is yeah. part of what we do. We can end up, you know, we can end up in, um, bountiful years. Uh, we can end up in deficit years in bountiful years, Hunters will often share, you know, that's, that's fine. I've just that's never. Fine,
0: but I don't buy that.
1: Well, I, I... if you're, if you're in the business, you know, of some way, shape or form of, you know, benefiting from the more animals that you kill in a given season for like whatever you're getting from it. It doesn't always have to be uh, money or whatever then, you know, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I do sort of question, you know, sort of like the motives there, um, for me personally, and maybe other people's are this, this way, if I went out early in the year and in the bow season and beginning of September and it's like, I got an elk, I'd be like one, I'd probably be like, Oh my God. Um, and then I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm good for the year. And I'll probably still be able to give some of this, this elk away. And it's like, now I'm going to help this person, like try to get a deer, or I'm going to take this person out that I said, yes, I've, I, when I get some time, I said, I'll take you out and show you how to duck hunt. And it's like, now I can. And, and so I would do those sorts of things, right. Um, you know, or just, grab the 22 and go out and try to get a, right. you know, a rabbit or whatever, just like, cause I'm out there and I need to have a gun in my hand in order to feel like I'm participating in, in this thing that I love. Um, but I wouldn't just kind of like keep going out there and like, you know, filling tags. I, I would feel personally, I would feel, um, that I'm, I'm taking like too much. My focus is always on, on food in my freezers I love, love hunting and I love to hunt everything that I possibly can in the course of the field of the year. Um, but there is a point where I'm like, that that's, that's enough. I just like last fall, I just had this amazing morning hunting mallards, like beautiful orange sky, like just little bit of snow, like just, I'll never forget that morning with my, my new puppy. And man, the ducks were just raining in. And it's like, I got a couple of big Mallard Drakes. Then I said, I had a goal this year to get a Mallard Drake with this old Remington 12 gauge that was handed down to me in the family. And I got like two more and I had four big Mallard Drakes and it was just like, I'm allowed eight and I'm just like, I'm I'm done for today. Like, I I just feel like- Like, that's it to sit here and get four more. Like, that's not going to make this a more special morning Four more ducks, you know, for, for, you know, four more duck meals or whatever. But it's like, I, I didn't need to, um, I, I, I've reached a place in my life where I love this saying: Less is more.
0: I'm with you and I'm, I'm not trying to sound holier than now, but I have never, and I've killed a lot of stuff. Don't get me wrong. I've killed a lot of stuff. But there is there's always been an element of sadness after I kill something. And to do that 15, 20 times in one season, mm-hmm. it's that's not me. I have, I have zero interest. I'd rather go and buy meat at the store. No.
1: Yeah. And and I know that yeah. sounds
0: like an oxymoron, but uh, this year, for example. I shot a deer last year in Illinois, and then a a buddy gave me his deer he shot, and I shot an antelope in uh, Colorado, and I still did some hunting, and I, I had three doe tags that I chose not to punch because of that very reason. I just had enough. I didn't need the meat, and I just had no interest in shooting a doe or filling a doe tag. And I, I again I'm I'm not trying to sound like I'm better than anybody but I just personally can't bring myself to kill just to kill and this sort of goes to back to my my original um statement where at some point at least for me it goes from hunting to to fill the freezer to killing
1: yeah yeah
0: in in even yeah, and and
1: and again, it comes back to that. I, I think that thing of how people would view it is one: what is your character? And, um, you know, how how do we judge you as a moral person? And then, what is your motive for killing? You know, this this animal, or you know, getting a number of animals? You know, over the fall and and I and I do believe, like you know, we are in the realm of talking about like morals and ethics of. You know, you got a deer, do you need two deer? You got two, do you need four? Um, I think, you know, it's always, it depends. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a case by case thing in the sure. real world. Here's an example. Um, my son's best friend last year, just after our archery hunt where we didn't get an elk, he lucked out and got a six point bull elk on his mom's property. Uh, you know, just, just kind of out of town where, where he grew up. And he was like, um, I'm good. He's just like, he and his wife. Yeah. And one of his friends injured himself at work and was off on on, on worker's disability. And he was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to get a deer this year and I'm not going to have venison. So my son's friend said like, you know, I'll, let me see what I can do. And so he went out and shot a nice white-tailed buck and he's like, well, I want to keep the antlers and the <laughs> Um, But he he took him the whole entire deer. And it's like, you know, that's cool. So what was his motive? He, he is a really good young guy. Um, and I've taken him out bow hunting lots. Uh, I love his ethics and morals. And so he went out and took above and beyond because he'd had an elk. But what was his motive? And it's like, I think his motive was very moral and very honorable. And,
0: yeah,
1: you know, my, uh, uh, 60 years ago, my grandfather probably would have went out and I re- actually remember this story. Uh, my grandfather going out and shooting a deer on his tag and taking it to a family that lived down the street that had a lot of kids and were very destitute because of job situations and stuff. Right. Like, so morals, you know, and the, are the motives behind, you know, the hunter when it comes to all of this being displayed in social media racking up the numbers of kills, body count, whack them and stack them. Why? What's the motive? The motive is, um, producing, putting out for sponsors, for, um, for, even if it's narcissistic reasons or for likes or, or whatever. Now, all of a sudden, I think as peers, we should judge that differently because it's someday, someday down the road, if we all did this, yeah, if we all filled every tag that we were entitled to, even regardless of the motive, we would have to get cut back.
0: Well, that's, that's the gray area. And I, and I agree with you. I have uh, friends and family that I could have easily given the deer to that would have loved it. It probably would have went a lot further in their house than it did in mine. And I'm by no means the, the decider on how much deer meat you should eat in a year. We could go through in my household, we could go through two deer a year with no problem. And I also have no problem keeping a deer year two and even into year three, as long as it's not freezer burn. But the problem is, is that some of these species, whitetail deer might be the exception, where you can take more than one deer, three, four, five deer in a year. Mm -hmm. But some of these other species are are very limited uh, opportunities, and these guys are are taking multiple. And in some
1: of those cases, you know, like the deer thing, it's like managers saying, like, You know, for every buck that we take in this management zone, like we need to take six does or four does or whatever. And so you've got like these, these um, like large amounts of tags that are available to hunters. That's where hunting as a management tool aspect comes in, but that's where I see that you're just going to have the average families or like everybody in the family is going to get their four doe tags and they're, they're all going to go out and, you know, get one or whatever. And, and the family's going to be like, man, we got like eight white tail does this year or whatever they're, they're helping out with the management. And like, that's a real true, an honorable, you know, part of, part of hunting. Um, they're probably not, they might be happy and you might see some, their pictures on social media, which would fall into that category of like, they're just the average everyday hunter that doesn't benefit from showing the pictures. We're just doing this because this is what we do, you know, as hunters, uh, we're not in the business of killing for content, but we had a good season. And so we made content out of it. You know, there was a a number of years ago, I listened to a podcast of a celebrity um, kind of hunter, filmmaker from the US, um, really well-known, seems like a really good guy, travels from state to state to state in the fall uh, hunting elk and, you know, the same thing, gets five or six bulls or whatever a year, um, doesn't eat them. Uh, can't eat them, um, but loves to hunt, and most of the meat gets given away. Wait, so, he can't
0: um, like physically? There's an ailment or something? Yep. Okay.
1: Yeah, some sort of a um, immune deficiency thing in his in his body or whatever okay. that's hard to. People are going to know who I'm talking about or whatever here, but um, you know, like I I get nothing like against him as a person. Morally, seems like like a good person has good messages and stuff. But this one podcast really stuck out to me, which kind of, um, solidifies, you know, kind of this concept of, you know, are you just hunting for some food or is this content Is an animal dying for a, a business purpose? And he was in a state, he shot this bull on the last day of the number of days that they had allotted. Cause they got this filming schedule and go to the next state. He got this bull And he got up to it on the ground and some other hunter that had a tag in that zone was, was walking around and, and came up and it was like, oh my God, like, you know, Hey, congratulations, boy, that's a nice bull. Ah, man, I've just been working so hard here to get one. And I can't remember if he said, I think I might've saw that bull like earlier in the morning up on that slope or something. And so the celebrity hunter said, like, do you want this bull? Um, we have to be the film crew and I have to be in this other state tomorrow morning. We got to drive all night because we got to do this next episode thing. And the hunter was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Like, you know, um, I think they did the right thing. Like you can, as a hunter, you can cancel your tag because you killed it, but then you can, you can authorize someone else to transport it or you can give it to them or whatever. And, And then if I remember rightly, like they just left them. It's like there's your elk. You can gut it and clean it and whatever, and and pack it out. Or maybe they help them pack it out. I can't, I can't remember. I don't want to don't want to make the the uh, him and the film crew look bad or whatever. But but what stuck out in my mind was they filmed an episode in a state with a tag, killed an elk, and then it was like we got to get to the next state because we've got this filming schedule and we got a 14 hour drive tonight and da 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 da. And I I just literally went hold the bus here. Right.
0: Yeah, that's awful. The
1: last elk I shot was probably just above here on the wall here. Uh was in 2018 on opening day of bow season. It's the last bull I've I've got. And the thought of getting more than one in a year, um, I just you know I couldn't use that much meat. And I don't think personally I could I could take that many elk in a year. I just couldn't You know, I couldn't do it. I I do, you know, I do sort of follow that, you know, catch your limit, limit your catch kind of, you know, type, type ethos is, is just what works, you know, for me personally. And, and anyways, after hearing that podcast episode and it's like, you're in the business of making films for certain reasons, for certain products, for certain purposes, of even promoting hunters to go to certain states because the states want the non-resident hunters there for tag revenue like it's a competitive you know thing down in the u.s and i just thought that elk should not have died for the motive of which it was killed for Because there was another person, this average everyday person that's just going out hunting that the world does not even know who this person is. They wanted an elk and maybe, maybe if the professional hunter hadn't shot it, this other other person would have got it that evening, later that afternoon, the next, the next morning. And I would, I would, you know. I would give up my next elk. If I knew there was someone else out there that had never got one, I would be like, go for it, man. Like it, you know, I've and got. That's somebody. what I'm talking
0: about. It takes away the opportunity. And I and, bet. And you- in
1: this case, this case, it, I really felt like it did. Cause these two guys were hunting and obviously a very tight piece of ground and the chance of a bull going right on the slope rather than left on the slope meant that the other person who wasn't a a you know a film star would have got it um and it went the other direction and it and it was knocked down for an episode of a TV series.
0: And there's probably a good chance that the celebrity walked away going, Oh, we did that guy such a huge favor. We're so <laughs> good. We gave that whole elk to him. I mean I'm making an assumption and being facetious a little bit, but
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I- so
0: even before I knew Matt, even before I was a part of this podcast, Jim Burnsworth has or had a hunting show, a Western Extreme. I don't know if you're familiar with with him. No. He's an archery guy. And he was talking about shooting his 62nd or 63rd elk on a show in 18 mm-hmm. years. And I'm doing the math. I'm going, geez, Louise. That is a lot of elk every year, if you do the average. And uh, I posted it on a hunt forum. Just what I said, I can't believe it's gluttonous. And people roasted me, (laughs) saying you're jealous. And this is just a local uh, Pennsylvania hunt forum. Right. And it was amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, like, don't you realize that by taking that many elk, it's taking opportunity, one, and people with means that do that raise the price for the common man to, to hunt because they're willing to pay the, the, the dollars and, and so on and so forth. But I was just surprised at how many people supported his right to do that. And again, I guess it's his money. He can go to as many states as he wants, but it doesn't make it right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's different value systems. It's different, you know, um, personal setting of goalposts of, you know, what's ethical for yourself and what's not. I think the big thing about, you know, the... The commercialization of killing wildlife. Uh and the motive behind the commercialization is not necessarily that a person needed an elk for his or her venison for the year. It's like it's it's a business, it's an industry, it's like cattle. Um, they gotta go down, it's gotta be photographed, it's gotta, you know, um, there they're gotta be. TV show is made from it because that that is the business. That is the end goal. Now, it's supported by the consumer, like we were talking earlier, because I believe a tremendous amount of people live vicariously through others, and that's what makes these models successful. You know, I wish I were so-and-so, and you probably seen that, you know, oh, yeah. um, oh, they're so lucky they get paid to, you know, to, to I want to be this.
0: just like them.
1: Yep. Um, you know, my family, uh, on my wife's side ran a guide outfitting business for like nearly 50 years. And, you know, I went out a few times in the summertime and, you know, helped when they're building a camp, ca- uh, cabin or whatever. And, um, couple times, you know, late in the se- the season when everything was done and, uh, you know, my wife's cousin and I, we'd go and ride up and say, well, we'll pull the the tents down for a year, the wall tents or whatever. It's the snows are coming or something, but it's like, do you want to come guide for us? Do you want to come guide for us? And I was like, no, I don't. Um, You know, for a couple of reasons. One, I I just wasn't comfortable with the idea of like working hard for somebody to get an animal that um, maybe I feel shouldn't get one for whatever reasons I, I i would have a tough time you know with that cuz i'm like you know that animal doesn't need to die for you cuz you're you don't quite have the right you know perspective in my opinion and then but the other part of it is i was just like you know i just don't think myself i could be involved in the killing of several elk in a fall Wow. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with one, but I don't need this to be part of like witnessing that like five or six more times, even That's though an interesting like perspective. different hunters, different, whatever, and they're out there, it's happening. I'm happy for those people, but personally, I'm just like, I can be involved in it. I can maybe be involved, taking someone else out if I've got something or whatever, but I can't. I can't personally do it on a conveyor belt. Um, you know, yeah, that's, so I just, I didn't want to put myself in that position.
0: Wow. That's that, that's interesting. I, I never thought of it that way. And, and
1: my family still loved me and I got Christmas presents and everything. So it was (laughs) no big deal. I'm just like, no, sorry. I can, I'm going hunting for myself this fall I can't help you. Find well, if you ever else. get into
0: a pinch I'm sure you can call somebody and and get some meat in your freezer you know <laughs> you familiar with John Dudley
1: yeah I've I've heard the name yep so I- so for me personally I, I'll just interject here like on Instagram when when I go on to the like just the general feed, there is virtually nothing for hunting shows up on there. Because the algorithms know, this guy does not like to see any of this stuff. Wow. Yeah. Everything I deal with at the Hunter Conservationist is about wildlife management, is about science, is about responsible hunting. It's about the future of hunting. It's about standing up for hunters, like the average Canadian family that I want to see hunt in perpetuity. So I'm dealing kind of like with that issues management side of hunting and not so much of the you know, like, Hey, look what we got or this, or, you know, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, That's our focus and is the advocacy side of things and telling the truth about hunting and science-based wildlife management. Um, But my own personal interest, when I go on and scroll through things, I'm just like, I start seeing stuff and I'm just like, I just go right up. Don't want to see this content. Why hit the little button and the algorithm's like, okay, we'll show you less of this or this person or whatever. And I've got to the point where it's actually kind of annoying because I see a tremendous amount of um, like cat pictures and stuff, kittens and whatnot. And I actually, I detest cats because of the amount of wildlife they kill. But, but yeah. anyway, so I'm just saying, like, I kind of know who some of these people are and I'm glanced. I glance here and there, I get, I get the gist of who a few people are. But I am not in that world. I don't have a TV. I don't watch TV shows. And I don't follow any of that stuff.
0: That That's awesome. Because be, a lot of it bothers me. You would be in good company with Matt because Matt <laughs> subscribes to the same exact principles. I, on the other hand, I, I, I consume about 95% less than I did a year ago. I reduced my cable. I no longer get the Outdoor Channel or uh the Sportsman's Channel. But that's my interest and focus as well, the conservation and the av- advocacy side of things. Having said that, and and I'll I'll be the first to say it, I've listened to podcasts with with John Dudley. I personally like the dude. I don't know him, I never met him. He seems like a super super tremendous guy.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Okay.
0: And I don't follow him on social media, so I don't know what he posts, but our guys at Hunt Quietly have tallied up his body count. And this is this is just this year. Uh one, two, three, four white tailed deer. One, two, three, four elk. One, two, three mule deer. One, two moose, a pronghorn, and a black bear hmm. in one year.
1: That's yeah, a, you know, that's 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 a lot. And um, you know, I th- I think everybody's you know maybe experienced this. I've, I've experienced this in in my hunting lifetime. I've gone entire years where I haven't gone any got anything. Oh, and I've gone tons of years. From, <laughs> you know, September to the end of November and not got anything at all. Uh And then once in a while it's come, uh, you know, I come along and it's like, it's like, I got, I got like three big game animals. It's like, I drew a moose permit and I got a moose and I drew a goat permit and I got a goat and then I got a whitetail in the end of the season. And, and I'm like, oh my God. Well, you know, like, holy smokes. Like what a you know, what, what an epic year. And then the next year it's like, well, nothing again. (laughs) Like it's, it's, I mean, I have a couple memorable years where it's like, I got, you know, maybe two, you know, or three, uh, three big game animals, but it's it, boy, that sure doesn't, doesn't stand out as the norm. I'm usually very happy if I get like, get a deer, um, something big, like a moose or an elk is like, uh, like over over the moon um because i know like my son uh got a moose this year he and i went out it's a permit and like that moose will probably last us a couple of years like going into next fall yeah. i'm gonna be like ah oh, don't worry about it we still got lots of moose meat right so it will be like ah let's just you know see if we can you know get a duck or something like that right um i'm not gonna be like you know i'll go out elk hunting in september but um you know, I'll be completely fine if we don't, if I don't get one again. Cause it's like, I know I got this moose back home. So
0: I've said that before too. I've gone a lot of years without getting anything and I'm, I'm okay with that. I really am. And I've gone years where I've gotten three or four deer in one year.
1: And I don't know if you, if, if you found this, but I I found for me personally, um, not that I'm a terrible hunter or whatever, but, um, I'm not lucky <laughs> like some guys are, uh, but I, I find there's a direct correlation between the number of continuous days that you can stay out in a given area and hunt and your success. And, you know, some of my worst successful years is when I only had the weekends Or, you know, like I got out Saturday, but then I was just so tired. I needed Sunday to have a good sleep in or whatever, because bang, I had to go to work Monday morning. Those were really tough years because I never found that I could get in the rhythm of the animals and the cycles of what they're doing and when they're moving. And, you know, there's just a, but when I was able to go out and spend, you know, seven, eight, 10, 14 days out there every day. Um, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, like, oh, there's some elk. There's so, oh, okay, now we're starting to see some, oh, okay, good. You know, yeah. like, you know, the winds are changing a little bit, but you're, I feel embedded in the rhythm of nature when I'm out there for weeks on end. And then generally that leads to success. You know, I, I give these professional guys, whatever you want to call them, like credit. They spend a tremendous amount of hours out in the field and that pays off in, you know, the success and, you know, that's a lesson for folks. If you want the success, um, there's a good, you know, a good lesson there is like, you need to be out there and sometimes you need to be out there like a lot of consecutive days so that you can start to feel this pattern and this rhythm of the animals and then get in sync with it and then right place, right time. So
0: I, I feel the same way. I give them a lot of credit in that regard, too, because I couldn't do it. These guys are out day after day after day, state after state after state. I'd say screw it, and I I, I, I couldn't I couldn't handle it. But maybe One, that's I couldn't why. Handle
1: the, I couldn't handle the traveling. Um, but the, I don't know if your listeners are going to know. Um, in Canada, we don't have a federal public land system. Each province and territory has crown land, which, you know, uh, technically what it's called in Canada, it's the public land, right? Sure. Our, our, our only federal lands are for the most part our national parks. And so you can have a national park in Alberta, the province of Alberta, but it is federally managed in its federal lands. Uh, obviously you can't hunt in the national park, but then each province has its public lands. It has the right at the, 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 the province level to manage wildlife and to manage hunting. You're either a resident of Alberta, which you were allowed to hunt and, uh, as a resident. If you are a non-resident like me next door in British Columbia, I just can't freely buy over-the-counter non-resident tags and then go out. I would need to be hosted by a resident of Alberta or a guide outfitter. In the case of British Columbia, if uh, an Alberta resident wanted to come and hunt here, a resident friend would have to get a permit to a company and then they're only allowed to do that once a year. Wow. So this structure of me... Being able to say at the, you know, at the start of the hunting season or whatever, I drew an elk tag in this unit in British Columbia, in this unit in Alberta, this unit in Saskatchewan, and this one in Manitoba, I can get four bulls this year. We we can't do that here. You know, the best might be is I would get like maybe a a permit to a company um, in other provinces, but I'd need a whole lot of friends or I'd need a lot of money to you know to hire outfitters but I couldn't go to the DIY hunts. Um so very different up here in access to being able to get multiple game animals across the country in a single
0: season. So That's interesting because we in our conversations we talked about what it would be like if you limited us residents to one elk a year no matter what state it came from so if you shot an elk in colorado your elk tag in wyoming would be null and void and how much more opportunity there would be as a result of people with means that travel and shoot multiple animals every year. I don't know if it would be significant, but I know that it would be something that, uh, it would, it would increase some opportunity for sure.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess I would want to be able to say, does, you know, ask is, the uh, is the current system preventing opportunity for somebody? You know, so if I, I lived in Colorado and as a resident there, I got an elk, but I also drew a tag in New Mexico. Is that somehow preventing someone else from, from going? Um, Does it, you know, does it impact conservation? Um, You know, if I do, or I don't go um, to, you know, to get that elk, if uh, yeah, it, it, you know that that's an interesting one when we talk about opportunity when it comes to the the draws like like i get that because there's there's 50 tags and there's 12,000 people that applied for those tags only 50 of them get t- to use them right but if one of those people already got an elk somewhere else then and they can they decided to follow through on that opportunity to go after that elk in the in the other state then yeah somebody that didn't get a tag anywhere you know has lost opportunity for that that season um and i don't know you know does the odd system and all of that kind of balance it out or you know it's somewhat of a level playing field because you know of odds and you know people or anybody can apply there's there's a lot of you know variables you know to that as well i would also kind of want to know You know, would that jeopardize um, state level funding? Like I, like I realize that, you know, there's a lot of states need those people to come and um, harvest a certain number of bulls for their numbers, or you know, or whatever. Would you know? Would limiting people make life tougher for wildlife management in some of the states? Like, that's a pretty big discussion that I just don't know. Yeah,
0: but when I say this, these are like campfire discussions you're drinking oh, absolutely. beer you yeah, know and no, i love that too i don't pretend like i like that's the right answer i'm certainly i'm smart enough to know that this is just bs and to a certain degree but the bs that i'm spewing stems from my eye test of things are becoming harder to hunt Tags are becoming harder to get. Price of hunting is going up. Those things are not BS. Those things are factual. And in my mind, trying to work out how do we increase tag allocations? How do we increase opportunity? And how do we, we maintain the cost of hunting to be reasonable so the middle class can still afford to travel to hunt? That's what pops into my head.
1: Right. Right. Yep, uh, fair, fair enough. Yeah, Fair enough.
0: You know, is it right? Probably not. I mean, but it's certainly something that will never happen because there's, there's just the industry will never allow it to happen.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and part of, I think this discussion too is, is, uh, and you, and you kind of need to bring data in to look at this, but it's, there, there are a few few individuals like that you mentioned that will get these high body counts in the course of a year right but there's millions out there that don't most of them probably don't fill tags uh not because they didn't have the opportunity you know or the effort or or for whatever reason um hunter success is you know is typically in my experience anywhere you go is not on the super high end of the scale, right? Like, cause hunting's not, yeah. not easy. So when it comes to the, this sort of this central thing that we've been talk- talking about, it, it's kind of like the Pareto principle o- applies here. 20% of the hunters are getting 80% of the game and they're probably 20% are consistently getting 80% of the game, you know, year after year after year. Um, or in these, extreme cases uh, of getting multiple animals over the course of the year. Is that even a 80, 20 thing, or is it like half a percent or 0.005% of all of the hunters in America or, or, you know, or, or Canada or whatever, get more than three game animals in a year. Like, like I would have to think it's a very, very small number of hunters, are let's say getting three or more game animals yeah I would you know, agree any year and so then that becomes the question becomes just sort of like take away all of the the TV show commercialization stuff of it on the grand scale I I would hypothesize that that is not an issue for hunting opportunity it's not an issue on over harvesting of game populations or unfair distribution of anything. The average out there is the average, you know, the person is getting average hunter is getting, you know, one animal a year, and the small percentage is getting two and three a year. And then an even smaller percentage is getting these eight, 10, 12, you know, whatever animals per year. Um, and a few of those are like these people that we see on social media and sponsored hunters and TV shows and stuff. So, that's like a numbers game and how is that influencing opportunity in hunting? And then I think the other side of the question is if it's a very, very small percentage in a small minority, is that helping hunting or hurting hunting that we have these people that we hold in high regard that got these huge body counts over the course of a year by promote, you know, for the purpose of promoting commercialized products and companies. So there's like, I think there's the two, the two parts of this. There's like a moral ethical part of it. Is it helping or hurting hunting? And I think you can argue both ways. And, and then there's the, what's going on with the average person on the street kind of thing. And I don't think the high body count is probably not hurting the average hunter.
0: And I think the average hunter, and this has been sort of illustrated by, are uh, you familiar with Randy Newberg? Yep. He's he's one of the guys that does have a conservation advocacy element to his um projects.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Big and um um public lands advocate for the rock uh, for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Yes, you, you bet.
0: Yep. Yep. And he's been on the podcast with Matt. I've never met him, seems like a really good dude but he when he was on the podcast he he said that his content on habitat and conservation gets about five oh, yeah, percent I know I've of yeah his killing content
1: uh, and that's and, the, and the, like the cooking shows are you know the the same way so
0: yeah and that's just a reflection that's like a reflection on the consumer which is us they just don't want to see that <laughs> So, you know, that comes back around to, to what what you were saying earlier about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If there's a market for consumption, then people consume it. If there's not, then they won't.
1: I mean, it's, uh, I guess if I were in, you know, in those shoes, I, you know, I would sort of say, but are you contributing to that problem? You know, you're, you're you're promoting and you have these shows on, uh, episodes on conservation, uh, they get low views, but you, your bread and butter are these shows where, you know, you kill something and you run the 80, 20 rule on those to make sure that 80% of your shows are about hunting 20% are about conservation and 80% of that 80%, you better have an episode where you're killing something. Uh, the odd hunt in a television series of like, boy, we sure worked hard, but we just didn't get an elk out of this unit. People are like, oh yeah, no, that's good. That's reality. Like there's yeah. this famous person didn't get one show, but then it's like, well, they better get something in the next episode. Cause <laughs> oh. I'm not watching a whole year of Mark not getting a moose this year, yeah. this year. God, that guy's a terrible hunter. Um, and sponsors pull out and people stop watching your show and stuff. So, so I, I kind of said like, there's a model, there's a model for this hunting industry, um, celebrity person to be the face of something of several sponsors. And it's a model that's going to require the vast majority of what the consumers are seeing is an animal, you know, being killed and hunting. And People and then want there's to this, see that. this peripheral stuff. So I'm kind of like, if if that's what you you know you believe, then how do you change that consumer? Like, how do you change the herd? Leaders can change the direction of the herd. They have to figure out how to do that. And we can continue to blindly go on this path of showing this content. And and it's it's not not being used against us there is the anti hunting side of it is like they tap into this stuff and see like they're killing on these shows they're killing on these shows they're killing on these shows and it's like you know it's sponsored by this and it's sponsored by that they can make hunting you know hurt hunting uh because of that so if 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 we want to truly have hunters more engaged and more enthusiastic and more interested in saying all of this hunting and the heritage and our grandfathers and grandmothers behind us were about ensuring that the habitat and the wildlife was there. That is what all of this is about. Then how do you as an individual change the herd? So that becomes attractive, that inspires people, that motivates people Um, and to me that would require a champion getting out there and doing that if that's what you believed in. And I don't really believe that this model of showing people hunting and animals being killed is getting us to a long-term objective of sustaining hunting into the future for generations that aren't even born yet. I I don't see that as being a model that's going to get us here in a hundred years from now.
0: I, I, I agree. That. I absolutely agree. I think Shane it's. Shane Mahoney
1: gave a, uh, um, keynote speak at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation You go look it up on YouTube or whatever. I think in like 2010, 2011, uh, and he basically said exactly that same thing. And he goes, this whole thing of hunting going mainstream onto television Was a grand failed experiment. I said that in 2010, but 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 something like that. And it's sort of like, you know, I I remember you know very strongly him saying, you know, we need the non-hunting public to see that hunters see wildlife as more than just targets, and that we love them as much as they do. You know, and he was really speaking to what needs to be the face of hunting, to both the hunting and the non-hunting viewer to sustain this thing we live into the future. Like that's, that's the messages that, you know, I took away from Shane in that keynote speak and that speech. And it was kind of funny because I think it was the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and they have a sponsored celebrity that has a television (laughs) series and it was like there and, uh, and he was kind of like, oh no, but your, your show is fine. And, and just kind of <laughs> like jokingly. Cause, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was funny.
0: Well, I, I've always thought that if you're going to have a hunting show, you have to have someone who's going to inspire people to see hunting in a way that's positive. You have to have an education component and you have to have a historical component that illustrates all of the people that have hunted and how the history behind hunting, I've always felt that's been important and missing from most hunting shows, Uh, and the culture importance of hunting. And there's very few hunting shows that meet all those, at least my criteria, but there's a few that do. But Matt brings up a good point that I haven't, found a a good response to is that if you meet all those criteria, then you're only making it more attractive for people to, to come to the sport for the wrong reasons.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, You know, I guess to say for the wrong reasons, I think what we want to do is, you know, um, if people want to get into hunting, um, embrace that, uh, I believe that if somebody shows an interest, embrace that, help them, but in a way they need to find their own path and answer their own question. Why? Um, and you know, when I look across the hunting community nowadays, and when I see everybody, dressed the same way, wearing the same gear, the same hats, the same bino harnesses. They have the same look, um, like we're like clones, you know, like there's a dress code, (laughs) a uniform, um, to go hunting and they're new hunters, uh, adult onset hunters and stuff that have got like, well, this is how I'm supposed to look and behave and act. And, you know, I should have an 80 pound pack on and do this epic endurance thing in, you know, into the mountains. And cause that's, that's what I've been, I've been taught. Um, you know, that's, that's learning to hunt by, by mimicry and from a very select, you know, few people where my personal approach would be is like, here's what I love about hunting. Here's my ethos. Here's how I look at things. Um, and you really need to find yourself in this. And if we can do that as more visible and pronounced people representing hunting to find, you know, your own path, then I don't mind, you know, people getting into it or some of what's out there is encouraging people, you know, to get into hunting. Um, That's, you know, part of this giant community that we're in. Um, and, but, but I do think people should find, you know, their, their own why, um, and not necessarily judge, you know, the, the reasons that they go into it. But I do find, you know, it. I do find some folks are a bit shallow, uh, in how they express their whys and, and the way they approach it, um, because it just, to me, looks like they're, they're copying they're they're mimicking something and they haven't found themselves yet you know they're like a like a painter whose paintings just look like that famous painter's you know over there and it's like you need to mature you need to breathe you, f- you need to like just get away from it all and find your own path and find yourself in 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 this and uh, i don't i don't see a lot of that messaging out there i see a lot of messaging that is like this is how you should look act behave and hunt as opposed to sort of being, this is how I do it. Here's how some other people do it differently and look at it differently. I hope this helps you find yourself in all of this. I don't see a lot of
0: that. Yeah, I I don't either. I think there's a lot of um, people that come into the sport, they come in for the right reasons, and they may be influenced by all the things we're talking about. But you don't know about them because they just come in and go about their business quietly and they enter the portal of hunting for the right reasons. I think what is concerning the people that come into it and then look like you said, they there there's a, there's a prototype and they look exactly like that prototype and they have the outdoor, the outdoor, um, well, and then they have the social media theme. And then they have the YouTube channels where they post their videos. Those are the people that I would say that we're talking about coming into it for the wrong reasons.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, they're 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 maybe coming into it for maybe less less authentic reasons. And, you know, to me, like authentic is in the sense that like it they're coming into a to fulfill their own heart. And, you know, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not against the idea of copying. Um, you know, I'm an artist, I paint, uh, you know, I've been influenced early when I was young by certain painters, other famous painters will say who they were influenced by. Um, musicians, actors, you know, like you probably do an interview with Mick Jagger and he'd be like, oh, this is the person who influenced me early in my career. Right. But then they found their own path. They found their own voice. They found their own style or whatever. And, and, um, maybe, you know, uh, we will see this maturation in hunting. Um, the clone stuff will sort of, you know, drop by the wayside and, you know, we'll see some different things, different ways of which people are expressing you know themselves in in the hunting community or you know maybe they'll be doing that in a way that that you know we we don't see at all. So I kind of wonder you know on the scale of you know hunting being in this world of social media I I would almost think we're kind of I'm not sure if we're in the terrible twos or we're like the teens
0: <laughs> that's but, but a great do, analogy. I do feel we
1: are on a path and, and, and we are through, we're going through like some tough times of teenager and hormones and acne and need, you know, peer groups and all this kind of stuff. And in 20 years we look back and it was like, man, did this whole entire community mature? Like, I mean, it's just, it's it's beautiful. And, and I, I, I believe that, like, I believe we'll get there. Um, I believe there will be this evolution Uh, pendulum swing. I think it swung one way with a lot of this stuff. I think it will, will settle back. One of the things that like a data point that really, really makes me believe that we're kind of on this path is I, you know, I don't have millions of followers or anything on social media, but the ones that we do get that, that follow us, I would probably hazard a guess that maybe 60 to 70% of them on Instagram, you can clearly see they're hunters or, you know, outdoor peoples, they have private accounts. Yeah. And that makes me think that they're like, oh, this person looks interesting or this brand looks interesting and they follow it along and they give some likes because they're trying to get something out of consuming hunting content, but they're like. I don't need to show you, you can ask, you know, to, to friend me or whatever, and then I'll decide, but, but I, I almost feel like there's a tremendous amount of hunters out there, younger hunters that are like, I'm, I'm hunting, I'm going to have some content. I'm going to, I'm going to post it, but I'm very, very selective on who I need to show that to closer friends and family, peer group stuff. And I don't know what goes on behind that 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 private thing. Uh, but I, I just I see that and I and I'm like, there are, in my opinion, quite a few people on Instagram that want to consume some of this stuff, but they don't need to show off. Otherwise their accounts wouldn't be private, right? And um, so that 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 kind of gives me some hope that maybe we're we're in the the teenage rebellious part of this maturity curve (laughs) in using social media and hunting and, and all of this, uh, you know, television chefs show stuff that we're talking about. So I don't know.
0: I find it, uh, unsustainable. I I don't think you can just maintain this sort of trajectory of, of followers and content. And I hope you're right because I, I do hope that, that, we're at the the peak of the bell curve, and we're 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 coming down in in this journey. I read a
1: book here this winter because um, I'm just always trying to better myself and my critical thinking skills and stuff. Like I don't read for entertainment; I read for knowledge, and I learn. I read for professional development because, like, I speak and I'm on podcasts, and I try to interview people, and I try to make comments and analysis on things that are going on in hunting. And I read this book uh, this fall called The Social Media Prism. And it was by an author called uh, named Chris, Chris Bale. And it was all about social media and kind of like what goes on and what our perceptions are and echo chambers and divisions between political groups. He's a social scientist that was involved in some experiments on social media to see could you take somebody that um, let's just say has um, they're just their left of center um, left wing political views. And could you expose them to some stuff in a, in a, in other views and shift them slightly towards right of center. And, and so that this was kind of some of the social experiments uh, that, uh-huh. that they did. Uh, some of it didn't go as expected, uh, some of their social experiments, and there's some criticisms of it uh, that I have a podcast with Robbie Kroger on that. He pointed out some good points about those social experiments. But one of the things that Chris Bale found was that if you expose somebody in one echo chamber that wasn't that was, you know, closer to center with ideologies from the other side, they actually entrenched and backed up more in their own echo chambers ideology they didn't shift to the center they actually went like a little bit more extreme or radical from where they they were before and and so like i'm i'm trying to learn about these things to try to see and understand social media in hunting another one that was very interesting that i learned about was this idea of extremists on social media and there are extremists that do and say things that are very extreme. And it doesn't matter whether it's your political views or religious views or whatever they are, very extreme. And that generates a tremendous amount of traffic on social media. One of the things that it does is it makes it look like the extremist views are a much larger segment of that group in society than they actually are. Because generally the extremists are very small minorities in a group, but they have very extremist views and they're very aggressively about putting them out. And they're very aggressive at attacking people who oppose their views, but they are not, they are not the mass. They are not the center of the bell curve. They're the tails of the bell curve, but they appear to be the masses.
0: Because they have the loudest voices.
1: They have the loudest voices the way the algorithms work on social media is the algorithms are sitting there twiddling their thumbs and they're like, oh, there's a bunch of traffic headed in this direction. And they follow it and they find its source and it's this extremist. And this extremist has got all these other people either like, you know, yeah, right on brother. Or it's like, You, you know, you sick pervert or whatever, like, like this, this, all this is going on. Right. And as far as the algorithm goes, it does not care what it is that it is. It's, it's traffic. There's something happening on its platform. So let's get this in front of more people. And so extremist views show up on your feeds more. Because they're ones the algorithm are going, they're generating a lot of traffic. Sure. Let's let's get more people on this bus because that's our business. Our business is these people are coming on our platform for free um, to mass as many people around. And then we throw some advertising in front of them, right? Or right. use their per- mind, their personal data. And and so what it does is it takes extremist views of things and make it look like it's a bigger problem. And and I, I try to. Apply that thinking to the hunting world. And it's like the stuff we see on social media, um, that like the content and and stuff that just seems really, really repulsive. In some ways, I kind of wonder if that's not like the extremists. I know that's not all people uh that hunt like that, but it's generated a whole bunch of traffic of like the thumbs up and the thumbs down, and but the algorithm is just putting it out there more. And I've tried to use that to temper my view of the entire hunting world to go like, this is not these things that I see that bother me. I'm like, this is not most of the people. And these are not the people that I'm working for to protect their future to go hunting. And it's like, I know the good people are there.
0: That That is a great point. And so that, you're never going to make that go away because those extremists will always be there. But the key is to get the silent majority to silence the extremists. And so they don't hurt our.
1: Yeah. And that, that was, so that was one of the social phenomenons that Chris Bale reported on uh, in this book from his social science studies. So when you have an extremist and, and, and they're, pushing these really extreme and radical ideas. If someone from the moderate middle decides to step in and challenge those views, extremists jump on those people, like a bunch of them from that echo chamber. Yeah. And they absolutely terrorize the moderate middle, the quiet middle, the, the, the mass that's out there that is this quiet, moderate middle and that they viciously attack these people. And and then those folks are just like, whoa, that's the last time I'm ever saying things on social media. (laughs) And just think about the hunting chat forums, right? You talked about this earlier. How many times have you seen a chat forum where this thing comes up and somebody comes in with this more moderate view that they express out there you know, you know, geez, guys, you know, I think this idea of having these killing contests and like putting piles of dead coyotes in the back of a truck is, is probably not helping us. And then every, like, don't you support predator management and all this kind of stuff? And you anti-hunter and where do you, where do you live? And, you know, do you drive a Prius and all this kind of stuff? And this poor person's like, that's it. I'm never going on this chat forum again. Right. So this is what, this is what Chris Bale talked about. And this is a phenomenon that happens. And so the extremists silence these, these quiet individuals that decide to say, like, I want to stand up for something. So my question is in the hunting world, I do see that. And I've, I think you've probably all listening have probably seen that in some way, shape or form. On I've lived it. <laughs> some moderate voice get absolutely, I had people try to sue me. I've got letters from lawyers, um, and, and had to deal with that kind of stuff, you know, from extremists and, um, wow. Yeah. And, and, and it's a, it's a, like, like we're gonna, you know, this, this lawyer letter is going to like silence you. We're going to scare you. Right. And, um, so I had to hire a lawyer and yeah. like, you know, what are you willing to stand up for? Cause they're trying to silence you. You know, do you want this to go to court and spend tens of thousands of dollars for a principal or do you just kind of want to go like whatever and, you know, quietly make it go away or whatever. So, so my question is, this is a real thing in the hunting community. When we try to stand up for principles of the moderate Middle that, in my mind, truly represents the institution of hunting and the family heritage of hunting is represented by the values of the moderate middle. But they are scared and they get attacked and they get like canceled and terrorized in these forums. What can I don't know the answer? What can we do as a larger peer group to support? those folks or not even that we have to support and go to war it's how do we make this moderate middle this voice of the moderate middle that most people can say i align with those perspectives i align with those messages and that moderate middle that becomes the extreme that becomes the radical that becomes the loudest voice right
0: yeah
1: um how do we Make that happen. Um, I think that's central to the work. I do. I've had this conversation with Robbie Kroger from Blood Origins. It's central to the work he does. How do you bring truth into these conversations and make the the moderate middle middle, the strong radical voice for change?
0: That has to happen if we're going to be hunting in a hundred years from now. Right. And Right. And... If, if you, if you, if you don't, if you, if you stay silent, then those radical beliefs dictate where this goes. And I think that's a scary, that's a scary thought.
1: Yeah. And, you know, so, so one of my ideas for a solution going, you know, going forward, like, I mean, I, I kind of have an answer when, when I said I, you know, I didn't. what i encourage folks to do if you are part of this moderate middle this hunt quietly concept the reality of having to speak out and be public is just part of the world that we live in now we need to stand up and defend the narrative because other people are trying to tell the masses this is what hunting is and they're not hunting um we we do need to stand up for that right Um, so what, what I would say to folks is who exists out there, whose values and advocacy work and their character is representing your values as a person in hunting around being the moderate middle. This is the majority of people are like you and believe you and approach hunting like you have gratitude, um, gosh, there's time, there's animals that I harvest. That I don't even take pictures of with myself. Very rarely do I do that anymore. I don't take pictures of my animals. Um, if people follow me on social media, sometimes they see things that I've got. There's animals that I've harvested, uh, over the years. Nobody knows that I've got them. Cause I'm just yeah. like, I don't need to show you this. I have other reasons for, you know, for, for, for what I do. So find find the people find the leaders that are out there being the voice you know for the moderate middle and get behind them because the more they have of supporters the more they have of contributing to what you know they're doing uh, whether it's financial support or podcasts or or you know, sharing their infographics or you know, around to say, "Hey, this is you know, actually the number of bears that were harvested in Washington state. here's here's the real facts, like that sort of thing and and get behind those individuals. You don't have to become that individual. You don't have to get all this. but the more people that get behind a leader and get a movement, that person's going to amplify your voice and be bigger and more powerful and influence media stories, influence news coverage on things, influencing the the encountering the narrative that's out there. And, and in my opinion, we don't need to be going after these extremists in, in hunting that are going like, what are you guys doing? Like, why did you need to You know, why did you need to shoot 400 pigeons in Mexico and put them in a huge pile and take a picture or spell out your name on the ground and, you know, these sorts of things on it. You know, that will, that will quietly go away on its own when the masses are rallying around and making this moderate middle and their ambassadors and their voices stronger because there's tens and hundreds of thousands of people standing behind those people and the messages they're promoting and and I think that's where we're gonna see change
0: right on well I think we've been Did we go down a rabbit hole yeah that was great I mean that's insight so, that I haven't thought of I'm 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 well
1: just to, just to go back to your topic of killing for content um very specifically on this one, What are your thoughts around the content that we see out there of animals being killed in slow motion, ducks exploding in the air, these, these, uh, contrails of the bullet going and hitting the animal or that rippling through the animal's body in slow motion.
0: I, yeah, I, I think that is bad for hunting. I think showing the kill scenes four or five times is even worse when they show it over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, I, I,
1: I don't like it. I do see a tremendous amount of the slow motion stuff, uh, being the, they're glorifying the killing, um, They are making content out of it. It gets a tremendous amount of, you know, like high five kind of stuff. Sure. Now let's look at it from this perspective. Um, It's me and I'm going to show you some slow motion pictures of ducks being hit by pellet groups in the air. And here's why I'm going to do it. I remember when I started learning to duck hunt and I was not good at leading ducks, and most of my shots were hitting the duck in the back end. So most of my pellets were hitting the abdomen, breaking legs, and I was crippling ducks. Sure. And I was having to like go dig around in the grass and, uh, you know, and find them and 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 put, put them down. Uh, odd time, you know, I would lose one. Here's what I was doing wrong. And I'm going to show you what a pellet pattern looks like in slow motion that is traveling through the air when you've led a duck and stopped and then pull the trigger and you can watch the duck move and the pellet pattern come up and catch it in the back end versus when I'm leading and this pellet group is going out in front, I'm going to watch in slow motion and you are going to see this pellet pattern, which we can't see in the field, connect on the front half of the duck and get brain, neck, And lungs and heart. That would probably resonate differently with a tremendous amount of people. And if I said, if I can do anything so that you never, ever hit or lose a duck because your pellet spray has hit it too far back versus in the front where you want to get it. And this helps you go, oh my God, um, this was a game changer for me. That in itself is a completely different use of social media and killing, you know, content that's on there that has a completely
0: different, different motive. And that's the education component.
1: Yeah. I would think that everybody doesn't need to get into the game of showing how to, yeah.
0: how to lead and shoot
1: a duck. I would prefer that that stuff is maybe part of hunter education program, 100, um, which is where I think that stuff should be. Because we actually have the technology through cameras and everything to show hunters learning to hunt something that you could not show me when I was a kid learning to hunt. It was like, well, here's a deer and his lungs are here in this graphic representation as opposed to, okay, here's a slow motion film of what it looks like when a bullet hits the deer in the front end versus the back end. And so you can see the difference in the body reaction and instantaneously you can know from your, your shot image what type of hunt and how you can follow up to find that downed animal, right? So um, the technology is cool and our ability to do good things with it is is great. Um, but unfortunately, just something like that becomes a tremendous amount of killing for content and uh, I don't know. I don't like to see it. I know lots of duck hunters don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could see like a hundred and fifty YouTube videos of slow motion duck kills in the educational category. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I'm like, you know what? Why not just you know, leave that to the state agencies that are putting together and the hunting associations that are putting together the hunting training programs and 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 get some digital content into hunter training, right? Or, you know, or or specialty courses or something like that, and rather than just sort of the The general, you know, the world is, you know, going to see this kind of stuff, but maybe there's room for in general, open, free content for the right person to show it with the right reasons in the right context, with the right motives. And it could actually look very good, you know, for hunting, uh, and, and serve as a hunting education tool. So,
0: well, I think we can wrap it up there. We've been going two hours. It was a fast two hours. No kidding. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it, was, it was it was great. I love this stuff. Yeah, I'm so glad love, you came I on. Fired. I love getting fired up about these things and
0: I I'm so glad you came on. I, I hope you come back on.
1: Oh, I'd love to. And, yeah. and... send me the invitations and talk. Yeah, there,
0: and... there's more to uncover. The social media and the uh Chris Bell reference. I think that's a podcast in and of itself. And you know you could take a deep dive into that whole uh topic and the correlation between hunters. I mean we covered it a little bit, but I think that's that's a that's a topic you can get deep in the weeds that would be a mm-hmm. great great one to cover great one to cover
1: yeah yeah but, no it it is and I encourage people to you know grab books and even if they're for business you know or leadership books and read them and then just go, how does this apply to hunting?"
0: You want to um, plug your your website and your podcast before we we wrap it up, Mark? Sure. I
1: mean, you can find us uh, on the web at thehunterconservationist.com. And uh, the Hunter Conservationist podcast is on all the major platforms that are out there uh, twice a month. And we're a show dedicated to wildlife science, conservation, and responsible hunting in Canada. And you can find us on Instagram, the Hunter Conservationist.
0: That's where I found you. Cool, man. Awesome. See, social media. It's good. It's (laughs) good. It's good. It's
1: connected. It's connected you and I.
0: All right, Mark, I thank you again for coming on. No, pleasure. All right, take care.